Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's sponsor is actually my own holiday gift guide, which you all must check out at zibbyowens.com slash gift shop. Zibbyowens.com slash gift shop. I have so many amazing things organized by all the things moms don't have time to do, like eat, sleep, work out. I don't know. There are 10 different categories and they're amazing and read. There's so many reading gifts and writing gifts. Um, my daughter's here with me today and I was asking her some of her favorites from my list. What do you think? A hydro flask. And uh, you loved all the sugary treats, right? Oh yeah. Anything with candy. Like Sugar Wish and Nini's treats. I love Nini's treats. Um, and the Function of Beauty shampoos. Oh, I, love I heard about them through you. So Function of and Beauty shampoos. Dylan I saw. Dylan's candy bar. Amazing. Um, so go check it out. We have discount codes for almost everything at this point, and some are still pending, but go to zibbyowens.com slash gift shop and get some great gifts for the people you love and pick up a few for yourself. Why not stop into the gift shop? Dr. Reshma Shah is a board-certified pediatrician and affiliate clinical instructor at Stanford University School of Medicine. She teaches nutrition to pediatric residents, speaks to parent audiences, and has won teaching awards at Stanford and at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in Ohio. Reshma currently cares for patients at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center and has additional training and certification in plant-based nutrition and cooking. She has been a featured guest on the Plant Trainers podcast and has written for Forks Over Knives. She is the co-author of Nourish, the definitive plant-based nutrition guide for families, which offers practical solutions that parents have been waiting for when it comes to deciding what and how to feed their families. Welcome, Reshma. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. So Nourish, your book, The Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families. So you open up this book and say, why should there be another book? Don't we know everything about nutrition? <laughs> so what is your big answer to this question? Why take all the time for this plant-based nutritional sort of handbook of sorts? Tell me about it. Yeah. So I think that we're at a really interesting time right now. I, people are really becoming open and so much more aware of issues that face us as a community in terms of everything that's ha been happening with COVID and with all the social justice movements. And I think that people are really willing to look at the impact of their food choices. And the reason that we wrote this book is because it's not a call for everyone to be vegan or for everyone to be perfect or for everyone to eat a perfectly clean diet, whatever that means. But I think it's just really an invitation to look at our food choices and what the consequences of those might be. And the reason that we focus on a plant-centered or plant-based approach to feeding our families is because research overwhelmingly supports a plant-centered diet as a foundation for promoting health. And then when you look at the added benefits, the first section of the book is all about the big why. When you look at the added benefits of the impact that our food choices have on our environment and climate change and 
you know, what we do with factory farming. In our opinion, I co-wrote the book with Brenda Davis, who's a phenomenal plant-based dietitian. In our opinion, a plant-based approach to feeding our families sort of checks off all the boxes. So it supports our health and the health of our family and our communities. It supports the health of our planet. And we think of it as a radical act of compassion when you think about the suffering that we inflict upon factory farmed animals. And so whatever we can do to sort of address those issues is a win. So yes, there have been a lot of books on nutrition. And I think our perspective is really focused on families. It's focused on all these larger issues, but it's very much intimately connected to our dinner tables because it has to be practical, reasonable, and doable because I've got two kids. I know what it's like to have a busy household. So it can't be just sort of an academic discussion. So how old are your kids? So I've got a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old, actually soon to be 16. It's hard to believe how they grow. Oh my gosh. And how did you convince them to adopt this? And have they adopted this? Like, have, has it been from day one? And how did you do it? Yeah. So it's kind of been a full circle experience for me. I grew, I'm Indian and I grew up in a vegetarian household. So I grew up eating lots of like lentils and beans and all these things. But, you know, I was a typical American kid. So I start, I definitely ate my share of like hot dogs and hamburgers and all those things. And all through medical school and residency training, I actually didn't really connect health and nutrition very much because I'm sure many people can relate to this. Doctors don't get a lot of training when it comes to nutrition. And so when I had kids of my own, that's when I really became interested in nutrition and the role it played in our health because all of a sudden I was responsible for these two young beings and I wanted to make well-informed food choices. And so the more I started sort of learning about what sort of dietary approaches support health, I kept coming back to this sort of plant-centered, plant-focused idea. And one of the reasons I felt like I was very qualified to write this book is because I've made all the mistakes. I was a short order cook. I did all the things at the dinner table that we asked parents not to do. And my family, in the beginning, I was super aggressive and it didn't really work very well because when you try and force things on people that you love and care about, they don't really enjoy that so much. And my family was keen on letting me know. So there was a period where I was like super forceful. And when I realized that it wasn't working, I kind of backed off. And the single best thing I did to get my family on board was to, I just kept cooking really good food. I didn't really focus on talking to them about this is good for you. You should eat it, or this is good for our environment. I just over and over again, kept cooking good meals. And gradually they sort of came on board. My daughter, who's 18, she was like vegetarian before any of us were. And so she was fully on board very quickly. My son and my husband came along much more slowly, but now I would say our household is like 95% plant-based vegan. So in the house, that's kind of how I cook. And then when we're out and if they want, you know, a pizza or an ice cream or something, I don't sweat too much about it. Wow. And so you're obviously a really good cook. I mean, do you, did you, the recipes that are in the back, are these your own, like, where did these come from? And which one would yeah, you recommend? So, if, like, if I'm going to try to convince my kids to give away their chicken nuggets, like, I'm feeling like, I don't know, are they going to go for lemony chickpea pasta with mushrooms and broccoli? Like, my kids are not, I don't know if my <laughs> kids are going to do that. Well, Molasses, I mean, tahini, I think, energy I think, balls, like, I would, <laughs> I would do it, but... Well, one of the things I always say is that this is like a guidebook and we're providing you with the resources, but you are the expert of your family and your children. So you're going to know what they like best. The recipes are mine and my co-authors. Um, and, you know, I think we have a slightly different approaches. Her, she's a grandmother and her kids are out of the house. And so with the way she cooks is going to be slightly different than what I cook because I've got two teenagers who are athletes. And so I, you know, 
our approach is going to be slightly different. I think know your kid. One of the things I recommend is start with the things that you think are going to be easy and approachable for your kids. Don't start with the hardest things first. So if you've got kids that are really into chicken nuggets and that's a thing, you could try a tofu nugget. But if you've got kids that are skeptical of tofu and it seems sort of strange, you might start with some of the veggie meats that might be a little bit more approachable. I also think that kids require repeated exposure. So even if they don't like it today, it doesn't mean they won't like it tomorrow. And the more that we can use an approach in if, uh, inviting them, including them, instead of sort of forcing it upon them, I think the easier it goes. And for kids that are really, really picky, it might just be instead of trying to take things away that you're just adding things in. So serve whatever you normally serve. And then maybe you'll have a huge kale salad or maybe the lemony chickpea pasta as a side, just so that they don't feel like you're forcing this on them. I know. I feel like we do that. And then, you know, my husband is actually the cook in our family. I don't, I mean, I can cook, but I have to like follow recipes. And then if I deviate, something goes wrong, but it takes, he's like, you know, he'll just throw things together and it tastes great. But I feel like sometimes he'll make, he'll spend all this time making it and then none of the kids touch it. So he's like, why bother? Like he doesn't, why is he going to make the same thing again the next night? And I'm like, fine, just give him whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Cause you spent a lot of time, you spent a lot of energy and you know, you don't want the food to go to waste. One of the things that I did early on that helped us at the dinner table tremendously is, so my shopping day is usually Sunday. That's when I go to the market. That's when I do most of my menu planning. And before I would sort of do all that work, I would ask them, what are your wishes for the week? So I would get them involved in the menu planning. And if they said, oh, I don't really care. I don't have any wishes. The rule in our house is, is that I will try to honor your wishes. But once we're at the dinner table, you're not allowed to complain about the food. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, I, took a, <laughs> I spent a lot of time making it. And the other thing is, I think always try to have something at the table that you know your child is going to like. So if you're trying like a new vegetable, maybe pair it with their favorite pasta so that there's always something that they're going to enjoy at the table. Because that's not the time that you want to be sort of arguing, bickering. I think the average American family spends 17 minutes at the dinner table. And make those 17 minutes count. That's a time for connection, enjoying one another's company. It's not the time to be sort of battling about food. I feel like 17 might be generous. And I don't know if we make it 17 minutes. I mean, that's the average time, right? So (laughs) that's the average time. So tell me, take me back a little to you and your career up till this point and your med- becoming a doctor and where you chose to specialize and how I heard, you know, I heard how you, this became another interest, but like, where did you start yeah. out? So it's kind of like a windy sort of path for me, I think a little bit. So I actually kind of early on you, I wanted to go to medical school and I can't tell how much of that is. I definitely wanted to be in sort of a helping profession, but I think, you know, growing up in an Indian community, becoming a doctor was definitely like the path to success. So I think that was kind of ingrained in me. And after medical school, I actually started out in obstetrics and gynecology. I did a year training in that and decided very quickly, it didn't feel like the right fit. And for me, when I don't know what to do in life, I always go back to school. So I went back to school and got my master's in public health and then made a shift in pediatrics. And it definitely felt like a much better fit for me. And so for quite a long time, I'd say for the first 15 years, I did general pediatrics. I worked in the emergency room. I had my own patients and I've 
worked with residents and students at Case Western and Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in Cleveland. And then we moved to California about seven years ago, and I decided I wanted to make a little bit of shift. I had done primary care for a long time, and I've been working in the urgent care. It's a large medical facility that's uh, this Stanford residents and medical students rotate through. So I have been doing some teaching, and really for the last six months or so with COVID, I think life has been so different. I've been focusing on just finishing up the manuscript and getting the book out. And for me, I think like I really enjoy teaching and working with the residents and students, but writing has become a passion. I didn't even know I had. Wow. How did you learn how to write? I don't, I mean, I don't really know how I learned how to write. I never thought of myself as a writer, but I, I think at the core of writing is really teaching. And I think teaching is something that I've always done in some capacity, whether it's working with medical students or residents. I've had the fortune of doing some talks at Stanford. And so I think at the core of writing is really teaching, right? There's something that you feel you want to convey to people that can help them in their daily lives. And so that's been sort of a long passion of mine. And it just sort of overflowed in writing. And I was really lucky to have a writing partner because I co-wrote this book. So there was a lot of collaboration and you know sharing of drafts and back and forth and things like that. So amazing. How did you do that? I always wonder how collaborators collaborate, like what system did you use and how did you assign the workload and everything? So it's a really interesting story. My co-author, Brenda Davis, this is actually her 12th book. So she's written many, many books before. And when we decided to write this book together, I really drafted out the outline of it. And we had certain sections that we were each going to work on. So the first section is mine. The second section is hers. The third is mine. And then the fourth was a combination. And so the way that we did it is I, you know, we would write a chapter at a time. I would send it to her. She would give me her feedback. And it just kind of kept going back and forth like that until we had it the way we wanted. And it was it was really wonderful because I think we each have our own strengths and set of experiences. So it was a really beautiful marriage of both of our backgrounds, our experiences, but we also had a very similar work ethic. So I think it's a writing partner is kind of like a marriage. You don't exactly know what the relationship's going to be like, but it ended up being a beautiful collaboration. And she has become a true friend through the whole process. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So put your pediatrician hat back on, if you will, <laughs> and pretend you're talking to kids, like my kids, my friend's kids about about the advantages of a plant-based diet for their health, not the environment and not about the animals, which both I think are easy for me to explain, but, and which they would get pretty simply, but in terms of what it actually does for you, why should they give up these other things that they've come to like, what are the benefits? Yeah. And I think when we have these conversations with our children, I think it's really important to be careful and tender because you don't want to be alarming. And I think you know, especially in pediatrics, this whole conversation around pediatric obesity has become, I feel like it's like present in every exam room and every conversation. And at the end of the day, I always try to focus on health and healthy habits instead of things like weight, because that can be a really tricky conversation. So one of the things I would say is for kids, when you look at the longest lived populations in the world, so there are these areas called the blue zones. And the blue zones are these geographical pockets throughout the world where they have the highest concentration of centenarians. So people that are living to age 100 and beyond in fairly good health, like they're still working in their garden, they're still part of their communities. All of these communities followed plant-centered diets as the foundation for their diet. So 
following a plant-based diet can help you to reduce your risk of developing a lot of chronic diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, certain cancers, even neurocognitive you know, diseases like Alzheimer's and things like that. So I think with kids though, those long-term effects can feel so far away, but kids who eat plant-based diets tend to have higher overall nutritional quality. They tend to consume definitely way more fiber because plant foods are full of fiber and animal foods contain no fiber. Also a lot of protective phytonutrients and it gives them all the energy and, you know, I think that it gives them all the energy, the nutrients, and appropriately plant-based diets are safe for children during all stages of the life cycle. In terms of specific benefits, looking, there have been fewer studies done on children than there have adults. So I couldn't say, for instance, you know, some of the health outcomes that we measure in adults in terms of hypertension and diabetes, we just don't see those as often in kids. But one of the culprits in kids' health that we've seen a lot is dairy. So dairy has been linked to increased incidence of colic in babies, constipation in children for sure, acne, and a whole host of other conditions from eczema and asthma and other atopic illnesses as well. So dairy is definitely something to consider. The way I approach it with children is I never say you have to sort of eliminate these things, but let's say, for instance, your child has a lot of acne or has been really suffering with eczema or asthma. One approach could be Let's see, let's see how things go if we just eliminate it for two weeks. Like we don't have to do it forever. Let's just try for two weeks. And sometimes if they see enough of an improvement in their constipation or their asthma or their allergies, they will likely say, oh yeah, that's there's so many alternatives. I will gladly forego the dairy. So I don't know if that answers totally what looking for with kids. Yes, that's yeah. great. I feel like when I was little, I didn't quite realize that by shifting sort of the, all the different levers of what pieces of nutrition... I could adjust some of the things with my own body and my own health where I feel like now the focus is so much more like in the weeds, right? Not really weeds, obviously, but like I could eat more avocado and I could eat more, you know, omega-3s and salmon and that will help my brain and this might help my hair. And I don't know. I just feel like it's important to convey all that. Like there are these little magic ingredients in every food and maybe somehow making it seem like, I don't know, like a treasure hunt for what your body needs or I don't know, something like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think kids are definitely fascinated by that. And if you have a child that's really inquisitive and really curious, I think those conversations can be a lot of fun. I think you just have to be careful because for some kids, it can cause more anxiety around Mm -hmm. food. And our whole goal as parents is to make it a joyful, inviting experience. And sometimes overcomplicating the message for children can create anxiety. I think that you just have to know your kid. And if if your kid is really interested in these conversations, then go deep, as, as deeply as they want to go. But the main focus should be on including a variety of foods, you know, eat the right, eat the rainbow in terms of fruits and vegetables. Make sure that the food is really satisfying and tasty because anyone can do something for a week. But for, if you're in it for the long haul, it has to be enjoyable, I think, for kids and families and for adults too. Totally. Yes. <laughs> so now that you've tapped into your love of writing as a form of teaching, what are you going to write about next? I have no idea. I, you know, I think sometimes I, as a first-time writer, I'm sure you've experienced this with other conversations you've had you know, you begin to wonder like, this might be the only thing I actually have to say. So I haven't really let this book fully like percolate and we'll see. I I would love to do more writing and whether it's sort of as a book or even in other formats, I think it's it's a really wonderful way to be able to sort of, to teach. I think it's a really, it's a really powerful teaching method. And this book has been, it really had, I mean, it was two years in the making in terms of all the research. It's very evidence-based. We have tons of references at the end. So I don't exactly know what I would want to write next, but I would love to continue to write. 
maybe you should do a children's book version of it. That's actually a wonderful idea. You could do it. Cause yeah. I've even like all the colors on your cover. I'm looking like this would be like, you know, if you had like it illustrated and you still called it nourish and maybe this, I don't know, maybe you have to find this leaf on every page or, you know, make it like a little yeah. game. Or, I don't know. It's actually a fantastic idea. I'd never even thought about it. There you go. Get there right on go. that. <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I would say for me, having like a vision of what I wanted this book to be really helped. Our publisher was very open to a lot of our ideas. Like for instance, the cover of the book that they proposed, it it just didn't fit my vision. And so I was fairly aggressive in saying, I don't think this will work. And I had to think outside the box. So I found my own photographer. I sort of, you know, so this is what I imagine. Do you think you can do this? And once I sort of presented the full photograph and everything to the publisher, they're like, oh yes, this is beautiful. This works. So I think having a vision of what you want the book to be and just being persistent, but also collaborative. Totally. Great strategies. Awesome. Well, I love whatever you did. I'm like, I find this photo just, I know I'm being ridiculous, but you should like sell prints of just the photo or you could like personalize. Well, I don't know. It's such a, it's can, just such a I great picture. Like, I can share with you what the original cover was and you'll yeah, see yeah, yeah. why. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll send you a copy of the original cover. And you know, it was, I think that again, it goes back to having a vision of what you wanted the book to be. And for me, more than anything, I wanted this book to be an invitation for families. Like not, this is how you must do it. It's not meant to be prescriptive. It's really meant to be an invitation. And I wanted the cover to reflect that. Love it. That is very inviting. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Congrats on this book. And thanks for trying to help so many people live healthier, better lives and the planet as a whole. I mean, that's really, it's a big mission that you've taken on and it's great. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the idea for the children's book. Like now my brain is buzzing with all kinds of thoughts. So it was such a pleasure chatting with you. And yeah, maybe I'll be back on once the children's book is done. I would love it. (laughs) All right. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again to today's sponsor, me, (laughs) my holiday gift guide, zibbyowens.com slash gift shop. Please go check it out. Buy something for someone you love and I promise you won't regret it. zibbyowens.com slash gift shop. Go check it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Music.